This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Combating predatory lending has been a long-time goal for many in California and around the country. I'm Pablo Espinosa with Look West. As chair of the Assembly Banking and Finance Committee, Assemblymember Monique Limon drove her bill AB 539 to the governor's desk this year. Many had failed in their attempt to do so for more than a decade. When Gavin Newsom signed the bill into law, he recognized that by saying that Limon had done what couldn't be done in previous legislative sessions, where similar bills, he said, could not even get out of committee much less make it to any other governor's desk. Assembly Bill 539 sets 36% as the cap on interest rates that lenders can charge consumers on loans between $2,500 and $10,000. Governor Newsom has said that AB 539 sets the tone for the rest of the country to regulate an industry that was due for greater oversight. Assemblymember Limon sat down in the heart of one of the many communities greatly affected by predatory lending with a nationally recognized advocate in the fight for social and economic justice, Reverend Shane Scott. Hi, I'm Monique Limon, California State Assembly member, and you are listening to Look West. We are here today to talk about predatory lending and California's efforts uh, to, to really address this issue. I have a very special guest with me today, uh, Mr. Reverend Shane Scott. He is the lead pastor of Macedonia Baptist Church in South Central Los Angeles. Reverend Scott is a leading advocate on the fight to combat predatory lending around the country and has been a very important partner to the state of California uh, and the work that we've done in the legislature. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, Excited to kind of listen to you uh, and chat with you a little bit about your work because your work in the predatory lending space started before AB 539, which is the bill. Can you tell us a little bit about just your background and how you ended up caring about this issue? Um, So I am, you know, a longtime pastor. Uh, I love the church. I love the work of the church. Uh, I believe that Jesus was certainly a person of uh, justice. And so whether you're Protestant or whether you are uh, Catholic or uh, Jewish or Muslim or uh, Buddhist, whatever you are, uh, you should care about uh, the least of these and the marginalized. Um, and one of the real issues that's facing marginalized people, uh, particularly black and brown people, um, is issues of economics. Mm-hmm. How do we get through the month when there is much more month than there is money? Um, and what I discovered was that uh, people were utilizing uh, predatory lending practices. Um, They were, uh, you know, basically going and getting these high dollar loans uh, just so that they can meet basic necessities. How do I get my children uh, to child care? How do I buy gas to get to work? How do I buy food uh, to feed my family? Um, And so, and, and these were working people. These were people who got up and went to work every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I thought that the faith community was lacking a voice. Um, And it it really started when I was 
pastoring in the Central Valley. When I was working in Fresno, I was dealing with immigrant families um, who were um, migrants. They were kind of going from field to field based upon whatever the season were. Um, but what I discovered was, you know, they would go and get these payday loans and they would get payday loans to pay back the payday loan. Um, and, and, and so I, I thought that something needed to be done. And so as a result, I started um, talking about it and preaching about it. And I had a congregant um, in my church who was a, a disciple of Cesar Chavez mm -hmm. um, who said, I think that some other people needed to he need to hear about this. Um, and Sal Gonzalez then connected me with Henry Perea, and Henry Perea uh, thought I needed to talk to his father, who uh, Henry was serving in the assembly. His father was serving um, on the uh, the board of supervisors. And so we began this conversation, and, and then I did some writing about it, and then I came to Los Angeles, and Congresswoman Waters said, I think I read something about you uh, and predatory lending. I am working with the Financial uh, Services Committee. I think you should come to Washington and let's try to work through some more of this. And so that's how I ultimately um, got uh, married to this issue. Uh, do you have any stories, like one story that sticks out to you of someone who took out one of these loans that had more than a triple you know, interest rate, triple digit interest rates that you are like, this stands out to me. I knew at that moment. I, I have an absolutely fresh one. Oh. So I've been working on this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I you, mean, we, for, uh -huh. we've been, yep. I've been working on this probably now eight years. Mm -hmm. My mother, um, who is 62 years old, has worked for uh, one of the major health care providers uh, in our state for the last 30 years. Um, December 28th. My mother left my home after Christmas very ill. And I really didn't know how ill she was. What I knew was that my mother wasn't herself. Mm -hmm. She got on a plane, flew back into Oakland, got off the plane, went straight into the emergency room. A day later, um, when she is... Um, admitted into the hospital, I fly up, I'm there. My mother uh, is preparing to be, to have her foot amputated. Mm. And her phone rings and it is a secondary lender. And I said to her, I said, mom, what, what is this about? Why didn't you say anything? Mm -hmm. I didn't want to bother you. You have your own stuff going on. Um, and I was just, I needed to pay a bill. And here it is. She's taken out a $5,000 loan mm. that I ultimately paid $10,000 to get her out of. Ouch. And in a very difficult moment in her time. In and in a life. very difficult moment. She's in the hospital from December 28th to February 28th, and then in a convalescent home until March. Just unbelievable. 
And so, you know, it, it brought up for me fresh emotions, mm -hmm. right? And it made me realize that this is an issue that touches so many people. This is not, um, you know, this is not just subject to people who I refer to as being trifling, mm -hmm. or people who just don't have a care in the world. These are people who are trying to do the right thing and don't read the small print. Yeah. Or sometimes maybe the conditions, right? The circumstance that they're, that they're in say, well, I don't have another choice and this is what I'll do even though I don't like the fine print. Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, I think so. But I also think that, you know, unfortunately, if, you know, there are some small print. I have a master's degree mm -hmm. working on a doctorate. There's some small print that I still don't understand. I hear you. You know, there's a lot of that. We yeah. see it in lots of contracts, and you just look at it and you're like, I hope I understand what this is saying, and I hope I understand. I understand that the legal the legal ramifications of this, but yeah. And, yeah, and and we hear that a lot. You're right. This is actually not a matter of whether you've had education or not there's just language in there mm -hmm. that you don't fully understand especially if it's as it's if it's in fine print the little writing there that doesn't say mm -hmm. right by the way you're going to pay more than 100 percent interest on this particular loan right. um, it will cost you much more uh than you actually needed yeah. uh, and, and that's that's difficult and that's yeah. that i i think speaks also to the problem that we were trying to address um, I hear your story, and you know, for the listeners that are that are listening to us, uh, I think they may not be able to see your face and your reaction, but I think they certainly can hear it in your voice yeah. about how personal and deep this is, yeah. uh, yeah. and yeah. what a concern it is, and when it's happening uh, to people we care about, but also to our nearest and dearest. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. we feel the need to say, hey, mm -hmm. something's wrong. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to take the a, a, an emergency loan off the market, but we certainly don't want it at an interest rate that's 100 or 200 or 150%, yeah. uh, right? I think that that's part of what we're trying to address. And certainly AB 539, the bill, tried to address that. Right. And we saw a lot of different versions yeah. of that yeah. um, throughout the years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we landed on this version and at 36% interest rate, which some people still think is actually really high still. And, and it is really mm -hmm. high, right? I mean, you know, it is, it is unthinkable for you and I, who, you know, probably consider ourselves to be middle class or upper middle class, you know, we would never pay 36% interest for anything. Because we go to work every day, we pay our bills on time, um, and, you know, we've handled our credit really good. But for the person who has not had the occasion to, or the opportunity to pay their bills on time, because there's more month than there is money, you know, 36% may be all that they can get. And it is certainly better than 100%, 150%. 200%. And in some cases, upwards of 300%. You yeah. know, uh, California is leading on this issue, but, you know, you got places like Florida and Texas that's much worse. 
Yeah, absolutely. Than here. Yeah. When you think about the needs of our community, of our working class community, particularly in the African-American and Latino communities, uh, I know that you can probably think of a lot of issue areas Mm -hmm. that we can focus on. Uh, Poverty is real. Um, It's existed for decades. It's structural. It's part of a system we're trying to change. Uh, You know, the need for jobs, access to health care, uh, our education system, so many issues. Where does this issue of predatory lending fall into that? And how, how, you know, from your perspective, where, where in, in the terms of all the things that need to happen so that we can help empower our, our communities, why is this important to have gotten done this year? Well, you know, I I think that um, America is in such a place where, um, unfortunately, we're taking so many steps backwards. Um, This particular bill was a step forward. It it said that even though it feels like our country is um, digressing, that uh, this particular bill says that there's hope. You know, you, you just mentioned, and I, I think it's important for us to um, to spend some time making the connections. You know, this money thing is connected to a larger issue. And, and the larger issue is, is really that the gap between the haves and the have-nots is expanding. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, in terms of, uh, education, in terms of housing, uh, in terms of health care. There are just so many different issues um, that connects with this monetary issue. Um, yeah. I, you know, I mean, that there's just so much more that can be said about it. Yeah. And I think right now we feel good because we got the bill signed, mm-hmm. but there were really hard moments in this. And I wonder from your perspective as, you know, a leading advocate in this space, watching the legislature function, um, sometimes function more, you know, well-oiled than other times, how, what are some of your takeaways? I mean, what are some of the takeaways you had from the struggle that this was to get passed and signed? I I think that um, in the first instance, this work has taught me patience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it has also taught me um, patience not only with policy, but patience with people, right? Because you never know who is where. Mm-hmm. And you would assume, um, my, my Mabley, says that all of your skin folk are not your kinfolk. Uh, there, there were people that you would have thought would champion such a bill who, for whatever reason, was very reluctant. Um, and, you know, my personality is to, is to fight mm-hmm. and to expose and to be aggressive. Um, but it, it taught me to just kind of bag up a little bit and let it, work itself out. Um, 
and so, you know, it, it certainly taught me patience. I think it taught all of us patience. Yeah. Um, we had to fail yeah. multiple times before this bill got signed. Yeah. Uh, and you were there. Uh, you were there when the bill got signed by the governor. It was, yeah. uh, we were both there together. Yeah. Tell me how it felt and what you were thinking this was going to do for the community at the moment where it got signed. Well, it, it was certainly a um, was certainly a proud moment. It was a proud moment because, you know, I, I, I think that Governor Newsom is probably the most progressive governor in the country. I, I think that he has, you know, taken um, incredible steps. He certainly has signed a lot of bills in a short period of time. Um, and so he it was has. a proud moment. It was a mm -hmm. moment to just kind of see one of my contemporaries. He's not much older than I am. Uh, to see one of my contemporaries, you know, taking such bold steps, um, uh, particularly as it relates to justice. And, and so a, a proud moment. Um, but I also think that it was a eye-opening moment because even before the bill was signed, it was passed, before it's signed, the, um, the industry is plotting how to go around the bill. Mm -hmm. And so what it said to me was, this is not the end, it's the beginning. It's not the end of a fight, but it's really the beginning of a fight. Uh, I, I have a friend out of Clinton, Maryland, uh, the Reverend Dr. Delman Coates, who pastors the Mount Enon Baptist Church. Uh, he has he introduced this conversation about um, monetary reform um, and, and how we really look at how we use money and deal with money in America and how to close this gap between the haves and the have-nots. Um, and I, th I think that what I, you know, after talking to him about the bill and, um, you know, the signing of the bill, we begin to kind of talk about what are next steps. And I think next steps in, in, in my opinion is to really say to lenders, particularly people who are in a trap, right? Because mm -hmm. there, there's some folk who've taken out these loans who have kind of figured out how they're going to get out of them. But mm -hmm. there's some folk who there's just no getting out. So how do we have conversations with lenders about erasing the debt and giving people an opportunity to start over? Mm -hmm. That's real reform. Mm -hmm. Real reform is when I can say I can afford to let you off the hook. It is. And I, and I, I think you're right in that uh, prior to the bill even being signed that there was industry that had positioned themselves to say, well, we're, we are actively looking for loopholes mm -hmm. uh, to continue to charge everyday consumers more than 100 or 200% interest rate, mm -hmm. uh, which is a concern to us. And... Uh, I mean, this year there was an incredible coalition 
mm-hmm. uh, that came together. There were faith-based groups and leaders like yourself. There were veteran groups. There were some of the responsible lenders, governments, different local municipalities. You know, I'm sitting in your office and I'm looking around. I see that you have a picture with, you know, Congresswoman Maxine Waters and, uh, you know, uh, John McCain, who's passed away. But, you know, it really also was a bipartisan effort. Mm -hmm. We had both Democrats and Republicans support this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Where do you see, in addition to having to address the fact that we will still have people in debt who need our help, Where do you see this momentum going in the future? Well, before I address that, Mm -hmm. let me just say that if the government can bail out big banks, Mm -hmm. the government should be able to bail out U.S. citizens. It It is unfortunate and ungodly that a bank teller can lose his or her job if their drawer is off by a dollar but bank CEOs were able to walk away scot-free after the mortgage crises and other financial Mm -hmm. crashes. That's unfortunate. I, I, again, agree with my friend, Dr. Coates, that um, wins such as AB 539 really leads us to a larger conversation. And that larger conversation is, you know, not only how do we deal with predatory lending uh, in terms of loans, but how do we deal with predatory lending in terms of the mortgage uh, arena, um, you know, predatory in terms of automobile loans yeah. and, and so on and so forth. So I think it leads us to a larger conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and then more than that, I think that uh, the faith community has to uh, join. This is not a political issue as much as it is a policy and people issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what we saw this year in the legislature was that it, it was really about where representatives fell on the issue not in terms of party lines because the party lines were they were invisible because people on both sides of the aisle were voting in favor of this and speaking up in favor of this and everybody had a different take i remember being on the floor uh and having an assembly member representing the san luis obispo area talk about usury Mm -hmm. and Uh, what history has taught us about usury. The references made in the Bible and others uh, related to usury and saying, hold on, by definition, this is what's happening. And Mm -hmm. how do we think about this and how do we address it? Mm -hmm. Um, At some point, we have to stand up and say that this is not okay to take advantage of the people in need uh, and to take advantage of the poor is not consistent where we want to go. Yeah, yeah. And if you remember... You know, these kind of loans at one point were not legal. This was long sharking, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, someone in Watts wouldn't go to a storefront to get this kind of loan. They would go to someone's garage in the back of their house, you know. And somewhere along the lines, we allowed it to become legal for the benefit of the rich and powerful. And that 
I think, uh, I mean, there's definitely a history there. And you mentioned uh, the term, you know, loan sharks, and that was used a lot. And you're very right. I remember that we had a professor come out um, to talk to the Banking and Finance Committee at one point, and they talked about how at the peak of the New York Mafia, uh, when they were giving out these loans, mm-hmm. um, one at their peak, uh, I, I think it was 165 or 265% interest rate, mm-hmm. and some of the loans that exist now are higher. But the difference was that we criminalized it. We made it a crime for individuals to do it. And so then the question became of, well, why is it okay for companies or others to do it when if you're an individual, you know, we've made it a crime. Uh, And so that's, that's, I think, part of this complicated history of how did we end up here? And and not to mention, I mean, if you look at the history of some of these – companies and look at the leadership of some of these companies these are reformed gangsters that are leading some of these companies i mean you know honesty makes us confess that you know some of these companies are just kind of shams for you know illegal business and and if they aren't let's just say you know perhaps they aren't they certainly act like it. And that's a concern definitely to our community and the impact it has on our community. Uh, when when I got started really looking at this particular product, we saw that nearly 40, 40 mm-hmm. percent of the individuals who took out this loan ended up with more debt mm-hmm. or in default mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to a credit card mm-hmm. where it's four percent and so often we talk to our youth and saying be careful with credit cards don't take them out there's high interest rates Mm -hmm. however the interest rates are not as high Mm -hmm. as these products and the default for credit cards is 10 times less than the default for these products so i think that when people hear about what's really happening, the data behind it, the evidence saying, hold on, we're doing something wrong here. 20,000 Californians lose their car a year because they took out a loan against their car. car, One of these types of loan. That's a lot of Californians. That's a lot of people. And what I also know is that in a state that cares a lot about transportation and we've made incredible investments in transportation because we believe that it's important to get to work. We believe that it's important to get to the hospital, to get to school, to get to church. Mm-hmm. How do you okay the fact that 20,000 Californians a year are losing their car because yeah. of this product? So um, no doubt there has been great concern. I think you, in, in our conversation, have alluded to also that we're not done. We can yeah. pat ourselves on the back for the moment, yeah. but we're not done. Yeah. Uh, with with really thinking about how we provide responsible products, financial products for all consumers that won't lead them to more debt, that yeah. won't lead them to default. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the greater conversation uh, that we need to continue to have. Um, and we need to figure out a way to make sure that whatever products are out there for consumers, for any consumer in California, that it's a product that does good. Yeah. 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 And and then finally, you know, I would just say that um, our 
parties, whether you are on the blue side of the aisle or the red side of the aisle, uh, it needs to be a part of our agenda. It needs to be a part of the agenda moving forward so that, um, you know, after you leave the assembly, there's not this gap of someone who's championing uh, such a cause, but that it is a consistent uh, path forward to deal with these kinds of issues. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. So with that, uh, Reverend Shane Scott, thank you so much for taking the time, uh, not just to have a conversation with us today, but also for your years of advocacy in this area. It was great to work with you. Yeah. Um, you know, the la- Yeah, we're going to keep at it. We're, keep we at have it. more work to do. Yeah. We've identified that in this conversation. And I think, uh, you know, your, your, your California community is very thankful that you were one of the leading voices uh, in helping this happen. So thank you so much for joining us. We are here closing out a wonderful conversation about predatory lending with Reverend Shane Scott here in Los Angeles. Uh, and you are listening to Look West. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. Please subscribe and rate this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And when you think of California and politics, remember to look west.